0: All right, welcome to another edition here of Beyond 8 Figures. Steve Olshengen out with Richie Ote. what's up, Richie? Rich?
1: How's it going, Steve? to well. My
0: brother, Mary Goulet, is out doing her volunteer work in the world. White Wade's holding it down in the studio. Kelly's got it under control back at headquarters and here on Beyond 8 Figures. We sit down with entrepreneurs who have either exited for more than $10 million or currently run businesses that gross more than $10 million annually. And we grill them until we get to the bottom of the... Tools and tactics and shortcuts that have helped to propel them to these stratospheric heights that very few entrepreneurs are able to achieve. Just a quick shout out to those who have taken the time to rate and review and subscribe to the show, uh, whether it be on uh, iTunes or Stitcher or your podcatcher of choice. Uh, we appreciate you and uh, certainly do appreciate you spreading the word as well, especially as we. Begin to dance up and down the charts. I mean, we've been fortunate enough to be in the top 20, top 30, pretty consistently in the top few hundred of uh, of all shows. So we appreciate the support. And, uh, of course, if there's anyone that you want to see come onto the show, just reach out for us. Uh, you can visit beyond 8 com, And, of course, you can catch all the past episodes there as well, but you can reach out for us.
1: Feel free to introduce them, too, if you want.
0: Yeah, right? I mean, if you know somebody, for sure, if you know somebody that meets the criteria, believe it or not, finding people who meet the criteria for beyond eight figures is, uh, it's a lot harder than when we set out with this goal. We were like, mm, this won't be a problem. And well, guess what? Entrepreneurs who have either exited for more than ten million or currently run businesses that gross more than ten million—they're a little busy. Yeah, they got things going on. They're either playing or and then some of them might not want to share. Yeah, well, then there's that, you know. And then we got folks who just don't want to talk about the numbers at all. Hopefully, our guest today, and uh, I'm super excited to have Garrett join us. Matter of fact, wait, just bring, uh, just bring Garrett on. Garrett, how you doing, brother?
1: Oh, this is like live shit. I'm excited.
0: It is exactly (laughs) like live shit, and uh, Garrett White. The wake up warrior man himself, the king himself, is hanging out with us. And uh, and Garrett, I got to tell you, man, when um, my my producer often gives me a heads up on uh, on who we've got coming on and what we're going to be talking about in, well in advance. Well, I did not find out from Kelly until about Monday. No fault of hers. We're just we've, we're in the midst of putting together. I don't know if you're familiar with it, but uh, we do an event called the New Media Summit where we bring together forty top podcasters and we give 150 attendees the opportunity to meet them and learn from them. And, and pitch them on who they are and what they do and literally get booked on the spot. So our next new media summit is in February. So we've been a little busy with that. And so Monday, anyway, I got the, uh, the info, and I was like, fork in A, man. Garrett White is coming on. That is a good thing. <laughs> so I had a chance to see you speak uh, at Funnel Hacking Live, uh, I want to say maybe four years ago. I think it was the first one. Were you at the first one?
1: Yeah. 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 So, like, here in like 30, in like 30 days will be like the fifth year in a row. Yeah. yeah. Only me and Russell are the only two who have spoken at all of the events like all five years. So, yeah, that was like the very first year.
0: Yeah. So, I think I saw you back at the uh, the very first one. We didn't have a chance to chat. I'm not sure if you're familiar with me and the work that we do here or, the, you know, anything that is in my background, but we've, we've got a lot in common, not the least of which is, you know, I've been married now for uh, for over 21 years. Nice. And uh, I got a 15 year old and a 12 year old. And it, it's really interesting to me. I mean, but let me let me do this because we have to get this out of the way here. Part of part of what I like to get out early and often here on the show is just how do you meet the criteria for the show? Did you exit from a business for more than ten million dollars, or do you currently run a business that grosses more than ten million annually?
1: Uh, no, I run a business. No, no plans of exiting right now. I run a business well over ten million right now.
0: Mm-hmm. And so, if you were to break down the revenue in terms of where it comes from, what products, programs, services. Generally speaking,
1: where does the revenue come from? Uh, Three areas, Uh, coaching programs and uh, events. And then linked up to we have run large um, membership sites online for men. Mm -hmm. And then on the flip side, my wife and I are also in the hair industry. So we train hairstylists, we run salons, and we also uh, sell hair. So between I'm in two different worlds, I'm in a hair industry. And then I'm also in the business consulting industry uh with the unique spin in the way that we do things with wake up warrior um, but yes, they all sit all those companies sit underneath there's actually six companies that sit underneath the umbrella um with me, and five of those companies do uh multiple seven figures uh easily every year so yeah. the, but they're all under one umbrella so the same executive team runs all of them um and then i I operate as like acting CEO of of the entire the entire shenanigan
0: mm mm-hmm. Very, very cool. And this is how, – how long has this umbrella of companies been in existence, and what were you doing before that?
1: So I launched – Wake Boy was launched in uh, December of 2012, like as, a, as an actual conversation with somebody else. It was born out of my own, uh, my own desire, my own pursuit to figure a way out of my production problems. Ah, uh, so my wife was a hairstylist. She'd been a hairstylist fifteen years. Um, back at that time in two thousand eight uh, was actually the closure of all of my first round of companies. I got my first pass as an entrepreneur. Mm. I was between two thousand two thousand eight in the mortgage and insurance world, uh, and I didn't know much. I didn't know shit. I was a young entrepreneur in my my mid twenties, um, and then ran that game until my early thirties, and uh, and then fell apart.
0: Yeah. Like, well, the, the good news is you didn't have to know shit to do really well at that point. No.
1: Not where that that was. <laughs> that, that's why I love. Like nowadays, people are like I'll hear guys talking. They're like, "Oh yeah, yeah." I mean, I'm still trying to figure shit out, you know. Since the mortgage crisis, like, bro, that was fucking ten years ago. Like you, like if you didn't, if you only were successful, then you weren't legit. Like mm-hmm. if you can't rebuild, then you. Don't, and I found out really quickly. I was not a businessman. I was a, I was a high pitched guy that had a whole band of a hundred guys who could pitch shit, and. We made a whole bunch of money, and then it, and then I went to this this flatlands area of of discovery, which is really what the birth the birth of Wake Up Boyers started. Wait, hold on, back
0: the, up, back up, back up. Mm-hmm? So 2000 2008. I mean, mortgage world, you're killing it, right? I mean, you got a hundred guys working for you. You got to be grossing forty. I mean, I don't know what your numbers were, but yeah. Well, actually, what were your numbers? So what were you doing at
1: the peak? We we were as a company across all organizations, we're doing around 20 million
0: in terms of 2000 to 2008 mm-hmm
1: yeah oh, and, and so like we were we were not the whole time frame but like annually that's where we were peeking to across with our investments and but dude we were young we had no idea like I was one of the smartest guys on our team and I had another guy who was smart too but that was not saying much
0: mm-hmm.
1: like were we, you, were, we were we didn't you know keeping we, any we, of it though were you putting any away oh, of course not of course not yeah of course not we weren't keeping shit I had no idea that you should probably keep anything
0: mm-hmm. did you at least acquire some assets with what you were blowing the money on
1: Oh, nothing that we could retain. <laughs> oh, man.
0: So you were blowing through cash left and right. So you were probably, what, in your 30s at that point? In your 20s? Yeah. How old were you? Yeah. Oh, my, late,
1: my late 20s, early 30s. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, mean, I had no clue. No concept. I mean, I was second marriage. Had no clue what we were doing. Like, I, I, I was a PE teacher and a football coach. And I read the book Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And I was making $1,400 a month as a PE teacher. My friend calls me up who's in the mortgage industry and says, Bro, like, I'm doing this thing called mortgage broker. You should come check it out. And he holds up a check and he's like, This is how much money I made. And I was like, That's what I made last month? It was like four thousand dollars. And I was like, You made last month you made that? He's like, No, man, I made that last week. I was like, Are you shitting me? Mm. He's like, Yeah. I was like, Okay, well I'm in. So I knew nothing. I was back H V twelve C doing reverse calculations on a calculator for cold calling VA home loans out of a basement with my friend's company. And I started as a phone guy and I started selling, 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 and then Got the dumb story like all young salespeople do, which is like, oh, yeah, I see all the commissions they're making and how much money I'm not making. I'm going to launch my own business. And so, me and a couple guys moved to Vegas. Uh, we started in Utah, moved to Vegas uh, with our companies, and then we took it there. And I learned very, very quickly um, about, like, you know, uh, the law, um, regulations, mm-hmm. uh, mm-hmm. insurance, uh, lawsuits, and we kept building and growing, building and growing, but we weren't really like the only thing we had going for us at the time was that we were just aggressive. I didn't know anything better, and I also knew what it was like to be completely and utterly broke. I wasn't raised with any money, so my floor was very much zero, mm-hmm. if not less. So I didn't have any fear to go because I knew, like, I was just fine when I didn't have. I could barely afford a cell phone contract, so I was like, "Well, fuck it, let's build and uh, we'll see where it goes." So that that whole. So that were you old, doing,
0: and, and at that point, were you doing crap loans, and were you doing the subprime and, and no, no doc and all that fun stuff, or were you trying no, to stay no, above no, board?
1: No. no, we were doing, we were trying to, because amidst all of the education I was getting, like I was self-taught from every, I'd never studied anything in money ever, ever. I read Rich Dad Poor Dad, and then I consumed anything and everything that Robert Kiyosaki put out. We ended up running largest cash flow games on the West Coast with three to 400, 500 people at cash flow. I had hundreds of cash flow board games. Like I was a, I was a disciple of Robert Kiyosaki in the beginning. Like, and everyone that worked for me was too. We read his shit, we studied his shit and it changed my life completely in honor. I had no concept that I could be an investor. I could be a business owner. I could build something. I just thought I had no idea. Like it wasn't even in my realm of possibility. Mm-hmm. So as we went down that path, like we pushed and wanted, I wanted to help. I wanted to be was on board, but we would, I didn't know what I didn't know. Yeah. Like when you send loan docs to a bank and the bank, the underwriters are telling you, hey, listen, we need this to say this. And we're like, Well, that's not what it is. And they're like, let me repeat myself. We need this to say this. We shredded this. And I'm like, no, yeah, but I, I, like, you don't understand. Like, that's, that's not actually what it is. And they're like, let me repeat myself one more time. Garrett, Mm. we need this to say this. Why don't you send them back? And slowly but surely, like I, and people think that their people lost their morals in it. I don't even think it was so much we lost our morals so much we didn't, I didn't know what I didn't know. I knew what things we were doing were, were not on board. Yeah. But I also, everyone around us was doing it, and the people who were lending the money were doing it, and everyone was doing it. So I was like, "Well, I don't really." I don't it's really know.
0: interesting, though, when you come right down to it, though, because you don't strike me as a follower in any way, shape, or form. I mean, you, every, every. I mean, to your, to the smallest cell in your body, you are, you are a leader. You are someone who you invoke. Like people follow you with reckless abandon. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. so it's interesting to me. That you succumbed to what you knew in your heart of hearts wasn't right, and and, and, and again, I'm not knocking you here, man. It is what it is. No, you shouldn't. I mean, I, I sold, I sold speakers the out of, dude, it. I sold speakers out of the back of the van. I was that guy. So, I mean, I get it, right? So, yeah. but it, but it's interesting. There, there must have been a huge part of you that was just, like your soul was screaming at you, like Gary, what the fuck are you doing?
1: A hundred percent. And dude, it wasn't just in business. Like Steve, it wasn't just in business. It was everywhere. Like I was going on in the same masquerade I was playing which was only part of me. Like I had to like isolate pieces of me to just be okay with how I was living across everything. Like my marriage, the religion that I was raised, I was raised Mormon. I, I had all these questions. I didn't know if I wanted to be in it. I, I was born into it. I was like, I don't know if this is the game, but everyone I know, all the networks I'm in, everyone I'm involved in, my parents, my wife, everyone's in this. I don't know how to even ask a question. It's not. So every day there were pieces, religiously, spiritually, uh, the way that I dealt with my wife, the way that I dealt with marriage, the way that I dealt with business. I packaged up this piece of me, many pieces of me, and only demonstrated to the marketplace a businessman, a part of me which always left me in this place of feeling the following. Someone's going to hunt me down. Someone's going to expose me. If my wife only knew Mm -hmm. the fucking truth about what was really going on in my heart, If, if she only knew the thoughts that I was actually having, if my clients only knew what was really going on, if my employees only really knew what was really happening behind my closed doors and the panic and the paranoia, not the buttoned up, I got this shit figured out, yell at people, fire people, Rain and rage with terror and anger and frustration. But inside of it, there was still a piece of me trying to creep out. Like we were trying mm-hmm. to teach people and guide people to what I had found for myself. But I had no concept of keeping money. I had no concept that it would ever end. I had no concept that there was. And then when it ended, I had no idea that you could make money doing anything else but mortgages. Mm-hmm.
0: Let's but, back up for two seconds. So you were married. Uh, so you said uh, so Danielle is actually your your second wife then, correct? Yes. So yes, how, how,
1: th- how long were you married the first time, and did you have kids? We did. So I have, a, I have an almost 20-year-old son, mm-hmm. Parker, who actually works for my companies now. Um, he, and his, he and his mother were married when I was young. I'd served a Mormon mission. I came back from a Mormon mission. I met her. I was at Boise State University as a college football player, went on a Mormon mission, came back from a Mormon mission, ended up in Idaho at a, a junior college called Rick's College, met my ex-wife there. We got married. Truth is, we just wanted to have sex. Um, she'll admit this to you today, me too. Like, we were like, we just want to hook up. But when you're Mormon, that's not what you do. You don't just have sex. Like, mm-hmm. so if you like, that's not what you do. So what you do in the culture when you're young is you get married. You get married so you can have sex. So we got married so we could have sex. We had sex. And then she and I both were like, what the hell have we done? In the first 30 days, I get a, what's called a medulloblastoma tumor. I'm playing football at Ricks College. And my jaw, I have a tumor, the size of like a small mandarin orange in my jaw. that's even mm. away the way of my teeth. And I end up in major surgeries, nine of them, over the next 12 months. She gets pregnant in the first month that we're married. And then we have my son. And 18 months later, after going through all the surgeries with what they thought was cancer in the beginning, which became a benign tumor, as we had our malignant or benign, excuse me, and then we continued down, we got divorced. Like, we, there was no way we were working out. Mm-hmm. So she moved to Canada with my son. And for the next 16 years, I was, like, a, a fairly nonexistent piece in his life at all. Um, so that was my first relationship. Yeah complete fuck up. Um I had no you, idea, uh, were you cheating on her too? No. No. No, I never cheated on her. Like we just that was so I know you talk about that
0: quite a bit in terms of just yes. you know how to keep them and we'll get into some of the current stuff as well. But I know cool. that you and your wife Danielle, your current wife Danielle, your only yes. wife Danielle, right? I mean you talk because you're Mormon, I have to say only wife, right? I mean that's kind of how it goes, yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah. um, but I, I know you do talk about that quite a bit. So folks don't think I'm reaching here, just Garrett is uh let's just say he's pretty forthright in his conversations that he has with his wife and that's a topic that uh that comes up on occasion during their uh, their podcast because they got a podcast that they do together called date your wife and uh i've had a chance to listen to a number of those episodes and they're really really good
1: so, so yes it, yeah. was a, it was a big shift and i like that that whole foundation that led me to like pursuing something different and mm-hmm. so like as a businessman i'm pursuing i'm hiding like my whole game was I was surrounded by people who only told me half the story, right? I was surrounded by religious people who told me only half the story. They would talk about this beautiful possibility of what life could become, yet the reality of the fruit of their life was they were obese, you know, diabetic, and their marriages were shit. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I was, I was so confused as a man, but I was so confused as a businessman. I didn't know who to listen to. I listened to Robert Kiyosaki. I mean, I was so ignorant. I went into my first accountants to sit down with my first accountant. And he's showing me an income and balance sheet. And I ask him, do you know Robert Kiyosaki? Mm. He's like, no. I was like, well, h- how do you not know Robert Kiyosaki? He's like, well, what are you talking about? He's like, well, this thing that you just drew out for me, which by the way, was an income and balance sheet. This thing, Robert Kiyosaki created this. <laughs> and he looks at me and goes, I don't know who Robert Kiyosaki is. And I can promise you he didn't create this. And I was mm-hmm. like, what? So I was, I had no idea, <laughs> like no concept. I was a football player. Who ended up as a PE teacher and a coach, who ended up in mortgages and was literally learning things as I tripped into them along the way. The name of my first company was Big Bala Incorporated. Of course it was. What else would it yeah. be? Right? Why wouldn't it be?
0: So, all right. So, so take us through this. All right. So, 2008, <laughs> that company ends. And and I assume you had, well, like you said, it was 16 years after the divorce that you, uh, you know, just kind of stayed out of that. And I assume, I mean, you're a good looking guy. I assume you just dated and did your thing, whatever. But it was what, what? What year did you get married to Danielle then?
1: So Danielle and I got married. So we've been married 15 years. It'll be 16 years this summer. So we got married 2000 and what would be that? 2003. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Okay. So, it's, so it so it's kind of during the middle though of all that mortgage stuff, right? That because yep. 2000, 2008. So Danielle, when you first met her, I mean, you guys are well, you're you're probably in pretty good shape financially. Uh, um, so we meet, and I'm
1: just getting started. So like we're figuring shit out. And getting things dialed in. But then the first part of our marriage, like, is when I'm in grind build mode. And in grind build mode, I ignore her. Like, I don't even know that I should not ignore her. I just am so obsessed with becoming successful. Like, I'm, so, I'm like, I am not going to fail. Everyone says I suck. They say I don't know what I'm doing, that I'm an idiot. I have ADD. I'm too stupid to pull this off. And I was like, fuck you guys. I'm going to figure this out. People are like, you're not not rich, you're not this, you haven't, la, 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 la. And I was like, I don't care. Fuck you. Fuck everybody. I'm going to figure this out. Move to Vegas. Ignore my wife for the first four years we're married. And I work from like 6 o'clock in the morning until like 9 o'clock, 10 o'clock at night, six, seven days a week. I'm just working, 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 working. And my wife's like, what are you doing? I mean, we go to Hawaii on vacation with her mother and her father. And I'm sitting on the beach with a fucking umbrella covering my legs with a towel with a suitcase filled with business books that I'm just reading and studying because my whole life I've been an idiot about any of this. I've known none of it. I'm ignorant as hell. So I'm just sponge. I'm like, God, the only way for me to succeed is to become smarter. And I'm too dumb. And I'm surrounded by dumb people that don't know what's going on. I have to get around smarter people. And the only path to do that and the only way, no podcasting at the time. I mean, I didn't, couldn't listen to cool shit like this. So I, I was just listening to audiobooks and reading and reading and reading, but there was no concept of having it all. There was no warrior's way. There was nothing. I followed the path that most businessmen are taught, which is Grind, figure it out, make some money, off you go. Like mm-hmm. I deal with the guys that sell their companies. I have clients right now that are in exiting and selling companies of half a billion to three quarters of a billion dollars. Like these are guys I work with one-on-one that men- mentor with me about how to keep their shit together. Mm. How do they keep their marriages together amidst all this building? It's one thing to build it, bit. Nobody talks about the consequence on marriage and the consequence on children and the consequence on the physical body from the alcohol that has to be consumed, the marijuana that has to be smoked, the ways that you have to abuse yourself to actually build the shit the stress that you deal with on a daily basis no one prepared me for shit of this it'd be like being a man who gets pregnant but like getting pregnant for a man was pushing a pumpkin out of your penis and you're like i you you, you couldn't be prepared for this shit mm. like it's like hey dude guess what you're going to be pregnant and all right, uh, so uh,
0: hold on so uh, i'm throwing some prozac right now through the mic all right so just <laughs> Sniff that in real quick. All right, good. We good? All right, sweet. So, <laughs> And I hear you do it, and you're totally fired up about this, which is why I love you and have so much respect for what you're doing. And, uh, and we'll figure out how to break bread at some point, man, and hang out and further the conversation. But what, I what, love that. But what I want to understand here is, I mean, you're the poster child for basically, you know, in author land, they say you write the book that you most need, right? And yep. so you've, well, and we can talk about your books here in, in, in a minute or two, but it sounds like you really created the business That you most needed. Right. And you were the kind of the poster child in in terms of everything that you needed around the four B's. I mean, the body, the being, the business and having balance. Right. I mean, it just it, it screams like this is you. This is what you needed. So 2008 comes. Everything blows up. You realize there's got to be a better way what what was that sort of come to jesus moment or come to mormon moment or whatever it is i'm i'm a jew so i don't even know what you guys call your thing there um but like what was that moment where you were like okay there has to be a better way i need to figure out how to get some balance and so that i want to i want you to take us through the embryonic stages of starting uh, you know everything that the uh, wake up warrior like just where did that come from
1: so 2008 um i have to make some serious decisions about Where I'm like, what am I going to do? Like, my answer to this every night was drink vodka and sit in my basement. Right. And and I'm doing this in a community that doesn't support any of that behavior. And so I'm like, I'm sitting there like sedating and then waking up in the morning and I started running. I read a book called Ultramarathon Man by Dean Karnaussi. Um, and I, and I started running in his book. He's fucking frustrated. He's in San Francisco. He's a stockbroker. He almost cheats on his wife. And he's like, I hate my life. And off he starts running. And so I start running too. I just finished three years of Ironman Man, done the world championships in 07. So 08, I start running. I start ultra running, and I just start running. Like I start running, 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 running. I, I lose 30 pounds. I'm down 172 pounds. I'm just running, literally every day running. I wake up, I run 10, 15, 20, 25 miles. Jesus. Um, I don't do any of the like the David Goggins crazy shit. Like I'm not three times, but like he's, a, he's a beyond beyond anything I did. But guys like this, even David Goggins, you were guys that I was watching just trying to find myself. And so 2008, I'm searching for an answer. And I sit in this place where I recognize I have no idea who I am. Like I knew who I was as a label as an athlete. I'm a football player. I knew who I was in a label as a business. Oh, I'm a mortgage broker. I'm a Mormon. I'm um, a married guy. I, I'd always lived in these labels or in your guys, I'm a Jew or I'm a Muslim or I'm whatever it is. Like here's the labels of who I am. I've been raised under these labels my whole life. I've always identified myself as an athlete. Then I could replace that with money and business. And I didn't know. I didn't know. And so what seemed to make sense to me at the time As I'm running and running and running and running and I'm spending late into the night in the middle of the mountains, running by myself with this headlamp on, asking questions, is my life didn't work. Like, not only didn't work, but I came to a fundamental truth, which was I was a fucking liar. Like, it was the only thing that could make sense of what my life was, that I was a liar. Now, I didn't know if anybody else was a liar, but I was absolutely aware of the fact that I as a man as a businessman as a husband as a father as a Mormon man I was a liar I didn't want to practice Mormonism I didn't know if it was even true I didn't want to do this but yet there was this piece of me that did it there was this piece of me that didn't want to pretend like sex and intimacy and marriage was important to me so I would downplay it like it wasn't it ended up in long bouts of non-sex for six weeks at a time in relationship with a beautiful woman I'm like I I had become such a liar about what I didn't say the, the things I wouldn't communicate, the things I wouldn't tell people. And so mm-hmm. I sat at an event called uh, Speaker Author Networking Group, sang with the guy named Larry Benet in L.A. in 2009.
0: Larry Benet. I know Larry. Yep.
1: Larry's a great guy. Larry's graduate from Worry Week. Great guy. Love Worry. And I'm sitting at that event, and uh, there's – I can't remember his name. He wrote a book called uh, Never Eat Alone. Uh, Keith Ferrazzi. Keith Ferrazzi. So he'd written another book on like authenticity at that time, like 2009 or something, it comes out. And um, I'm, he gives us a presentation at this event and I'm sitting there and they ask if somebody wants to share. And the first day, everybody was like super authentic. And then the second day, everybody was bullshitting. And the only thing I had to offer the group was I had no money, I, I, w- I was working for my friend, Chris. I had nothing, I had nothing. But the one thing that I did have was I had I had the facts. And what i mean by that is that i was starting to become aware that there was a, it was an actual superpower to be able to hide nothing. Like that you could walk into a room and if you had nothing to hide. Like mm-hmm. there was nothing you were going to be able to find out about me. You couldn't look up something or tell my wife some shit that i did. You couldn't expose me for some bullshit. Like there there was nothing you couldn't there was nothing to hide. Mhm. And so I was like, okay, so I stand up on the microphone, and I just take my suit jacket off, and I look at everybody in the room, and there's authors there and big-name guys and Kennedy and all these other guys are there. I'm like, here's the deal. Yesterday, we were authentic and we were connecting, but uh, the truth is, like today, everybody's back into their – I got a huge cock bullshit mode. And listen, I don't have much to offer you guys except for this. Like this shit that we're experiencing right now, this is all bullshit. And then I sat down and everybody just sat in the room like oh. – and then I sit next to uh, – oh, fuck, man. I can't remember his name. He was in The Secret from California, entrepreneur. Canfield? I don't know. Somebody. Uh, Asaroff? As- As- oh, As- oh, John Asaroff. John Asaroff yeah. sitting right next to me and we're introducing – and I remember – I'll remember this forever. He looks at me. He's like, okay, well, who are you? And I was like, well, uh, my name's Garrett. Garrett. Um, I, I work for my friend Chris. I used to be successful. I'm not anymore. Um, I cheated on my wife. I had a heavy drinking problem. Um, I don't have a clue what the fuck I'm doing next. I feel a calling to do a lot of things in life. I'm terrified most days and don't know what to actually do and uh, feel completely inadequate most of the time sitting here in this room because I feel like you guys got shit figured out and I have nothing figured out. Oh, so you, you had just watched the battle scene of Eminem and 8 Mile. <laughs> do you and, ever, have you seen that and, movie yet? Uh, bro, that was the moment of change for me. Yeah. I was literally watching that clip, that clip at about 2 o'clock or 3 o'clock in the morning in 2000, right in that transition, 2008 to 2009. And this thing clicks in me. No bullshit. If you listen on stage at our big man's event, our Warrior Con event we just ran, I was telling that exact story. We showed the clip. Like this is what happened to me. Like in that video, in that movie, he exposes the power of a modern businessman which is a man who has nothing to hide. Hmm. Why don't you tell the people something they don't already know about me? And he drops the mic, and I'm like, okay. So from that place, I started to realize that not only – I may not have the money and the marketing and the sales experience and the management and the leadership, and maybe I wasn't even a legit entrepreneur, which I wasn't. But what I did have was the truth, and I found out very quickly that when you can own as a man your emotional truth, As a businessman, you become – negotiations? Fuck you. Like Negotiations become easy. Negotiations about who can hold space and who's most committed to what they want and who can ultimately have nothing. Like There's nothing to hide in negotiation. The guy that has nothing to lose is the guy who ultimately wins every single fucking time, Mm -hmm. the guy who can walk away. And I was like, man, I am committed to exposing my life. So we walked away 10 years ago from the religion I was raised in, and I didn't know what I wanted. I walked away from the business industry that I was in. I refused to go back into mortgages and banking, even though my friends were going back into making money. I was like, I cannot. I was a whore. I will not be a fucking whore again. I will not do this. I will not do this. I will not do this. I looked at my wife and I was like, I, I don't know what to do except for the fact that, I mean, I, I, when I, I cheated, I couldn't even tell the truth for two years. Like, I was like a liar. I was even a pussy in talking about how I did it, trying to make myself sound like a victim. Oh yeah, I got taken advantage of, bullshit. I mean, I ha- I was trying to learn how to be authentic long before everybody thought it was a cool thing to talk about on the internet. Mm -hmm. Oh, be authentic. Live your best life. Be authentic. Blah, blah, blah. Fuck you. Like I was trying to live it for real and I would go to experiential events. in a closed room with no windows and no, no clocks and trainers would beat the shit out of us. What do you want? Why are you here? What were your parents like? Like just shredding me to pieces and my whole world became simply this game of, okay, if I do not know me, and if I do not accept all of me, my crazy side and my brilliant side, that's why I won't take the Prozac. I know I get where you're coming from on the show as an interviewer. But on that, I'm like, fuck you. Yeah. Like for me, I'm like, literally, I'm like, fuck you. I get it, Steve, where you're coming from and fuck you at the same time. But at the same time, I understand because it's your show. And you're like, hey, dude, it's my show. You need to chill out. Hey, we need to- as
0: co-host, we say it. So don't worry about it. Oh, yeah. dude,
1: listen. I'm, I don't take it personally. I love it. My teams tell me to fuck off all the time. My, my wife tells me to fuck off. I get it in different ways. But this this piece, there was power in it, and this is a power that's missing today. It's missing in businessmen, men that get weaponized in Warrior Week with me, men that come into our Brotherhood who are trained on this. They become bulletproof, not in the sense that they don't, they can't be shot and killed. They operate from a place that, for single men, is the most magnetic place in the world to be. Yeah, for married men. And particularly married businessmen, you become reactivated inside of marriage, business, and life.
0: Let, let's do this. So, and the the honest truth is, you know what the work that you're doing, in so far as, and I know, like you said, you help some you know, single guys as well. But the the work that you're doing specifically, I believe, for the for the married businessman yeah. is, of course so unique and so needed. I mean, we just had a guy on uh, our other show, Reinvention Radio, where we were talking about reinventing authority and how to build your authority and so on and so forth. And, you know, part of that, of course, is uh, understanding how to position yourself as the the only real option in terms of, you know, hey, if you want to do X, Y, or Z, then that's the person you got to turn to. I mean, I certainly don't know of anyone else that has the degree of focus that you do, at least in that particular Arena and of course, who's a better you know messenger for that message than you? no one. And what I would suggest then, uh, just for sake of moving this interview a little bit back towards the nuts and bolts of business creation is we move then towards the how. like how so you had nothing. I mean you're in the basement, you just you know, you you know just, you just, just uh-oh, uh-oh. Uh-oh. we just flattened out there in terms of uh, you know income and the business went away and so on and so forth. How did you start? Like, what was the first thing that you did to begin building this empire
1: around Wake Up Warrior and so on? So I was, uh, I, I was still in my reading game. I'd torn my Achilles tendon in 2011. I would tear it two more times. It was like the universe was sending a message to me, and I learned deeply. And one of the messages that I got um, came from actually crutching down to the Barnes & Noble bookstore when they actually existed. And I crutched down to the Barnes & Noble bookstore, and I sat down. I went over to the business section, and for the very first time, I picked up a book on marketing. Um, and the book was called Grilla Marketing by Glenn Livingston, which I obviously passed now. And I, I opened this book up, and I start reading it. was like 30 Days to Guerrilla Marketing, I think was the name of it.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And I'm sitting in this, like, you know, the the really used chairs in the Barnes and Noble. And I'm sitting there with a coffee and my crutches and my jacked up leg. And I start reading this. Around the same time, I'm doing these, I'm doing tons of video. Like I'm in studio at these these video production places. And I could speak and I could talk and I could sell and I could pitch anything at any time, just like as a conversation. So people were always like doing collaborative things with me. And I would come represent some things they were doing and then we would go. And I was sitting with a, a guy who wrote help, help My Business Sucks. It was a podcast back in the day, Andrew um, Andrew Locke. And Andrew Locke and I are having a conversation. I asked Andrew, and I'm like – and he's talking to me, and he sees all my fire, but it's completely out of control. It's just like you think this right now is wild. Like back then I had no focus, so I was just like testing shit. Mm. And he looks at me, and he says, the minute that you become – The minute you become as committed to marketing as you are your message, you'll never go for want for people in your room again. And that same time period, I sit down and I start reading this book, and this thing hits me. And the same thing I'd saw at the Speaker Author Networking Group a year and a half to two years before, same thing I'd seen in Crush It, Cashing Your Passions, a book by Gary Vaynerchuk that I'd picked up at the time, same principle Seth Godin was talking about in Tribes and Lynchpin and the other books I was consuming at the time was I had to start seeing myself from the tip of the spear as a businessman, which is there were a couple of ways to control, uh, um, to not control, but to be able to, to make money, but to also influence. And I watched it. If you were in the a in room and you knew how to market, everybody wanted to talk to you. If you knew how to get leads, particularly online, if you knew how to generate attention online, you could wear whatever the fuck you wanted. Chuck Taylor's in a hoodie and tell everyone in $10,000 suits to fuck off. Mm-hmm. Like you could do whatever. And I was like, how did these guys know this? I watch a video with Gary Vaynerchuk on stage, and he says, like, all of a sudden he says, fuck you, and Frank Kern's saying, fuck you, and I'm like, how can they say this shit on stage? Mm. Like, I don't know if you could get... So then the filter drops completely, and I'm like, dude, I'm going to start saying all this shit I'm actually thinking, and I become ruthlessly committed to marketing, like obsessed with marketing psychology, direct response from Dan Kennedy, you name it, 30-plus mentors I line up. I buy everything and anything I can. All day long, I am consuming direct response marketing, 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 direct response, ad buying, ad selling, sequences, funnels. This is why I speak of Funnel Hacking Live because I be, they launched ClickFunnels, I bought the product, I became one of the biggest case studies on it the fastest. I forced myself to learn technology. I was a guy, no focus, no discipline in any of this. I was like, that's not my unique ability. I've been part of strategic coach for like a decade. And it's like, that's not my unique ability. But I was like, fuck unique ability. If I can make it rain and I understand people and how predictably irrational human beings are, and I can learn how to market and I can learn how to persuade and compel people strategically to make decisions online and offline, both to work for me, to buy products and services that I believe in, Then at the end of the day, I can hire people to figure out the rest. Mm -hmm. I can hire smart people to deal with my taxes, smart people to deal with my accounting, smart people to deal with my operations, smart people inside of my teams with tons more degrees than me who are much more focused and disciplined in many areas than I am not. But the one thing is marketing. The second piece is money. Marketing and money, which is then now the birth of me actually having to figure out, Steve, the question you asked, well, did you save any? Did you have any assets? Hell no. I blew everything. I was like, okay, I need to actually understand money. And so I took the conversation to marketing, I took the conversation to money, and then inside of those two, I obsessed with it. Like it wasn't like I kinda wanted to be good at it. I wanted to know people And I wanted to understand money as a conversation inside of advertising, marketing, sales, sequences, and ultimately sustainability and the systemization and the sequential nature of how to make it, how to keep it, how to keep it building on itself. And I went all in and I started small and I started building and I started building. And I didn't believe in myself enough at the time even then, so I partnered up with a whole bunch of people. I had five partners from 2008 through to 2012 in different businesses. I partnered with a guy named Chris Cronin in 2009, or Garrett Garrett B. Gunderson, author of Killing Sacred Cows. I was his business partner in 2008. I was Chris Crohn's business partner in 2009. I was Brett Howard, the Five Laws. I was his business partner in 2010. In 2011, I built a company called Pay to Play Academy where we started testing ad spend. And then in 2012, I built another one called Awaken Soul Purpose and Movement Marketers Academy with another guy named Adam Spiel. By 2012, two things had happened. One, I had become marketing. It wasn't what I did, it was who I was. 18 months ago, I started surfing. I moved right to the beach. I don't surf. I am a surfer. It is my identity right now. Surfing is a lifestyle for me. It is a a religion. It is more of a religion than anything ever was for me before. Marketing became my religion. It became my being. The understanding of money and how to make it, how to keep it, how to grow it, how to manage it became who I was. It wasn't what I did anymore, and I wasn't looking for someone to save me. Mm Mm-hmm. So inside of that, I'm also figuring out how to deal with me. How do I put my marriage back together? And I built this little game in my journal because I realized to pull all that shit off, I needed more power. My production was weak because my power was weak. How could I increase production? Most most businessmen, you know, individuals that are making half a million dollars to a million or doing a million to two million, three million in revenue. It's not that you don't know what to do. There are some things you have to fundamentally change to break 10. And then you have to change radically to go from 10 to break 20. And then like the, I haven't done hundred million, so who knows what that would be like. I know it's gonna be radically different than what I assume right now. Mm-hmm. But this path requires you to actually have mastery of yourself. You as an individual, as a business owner, the difference between a guy that does a hundred thousand and a million a year is the identification of his roles and his skill sets and who he sees himself to be. Right now, I'm dying because I'm. Play, we we do a program with EOS, and we're doing the Vision Integrator process with Gina Wickman and like all those guys, and it's a very painful process for me to let go, of shit, because I'm I, I built all this yes. as the head guy in charge. So Warrior's Way was a game I played every day to stay in power, to put my marriage together. When my body was aligned, I had power. When my being and my purpose and connection to a voice inside of me that was guiding me in a direction that felt right to me. And when my marriage, a k balance, when my marriage and my children and I got on the same page, there was a certainty as a producer that could not be mimicked by any alcohol, any pill, any blow, any stripper. There was nothing that could, no orgasm, there was nothing that could duplicate it. So with these three aligned, embody being in balance, pointed at a commitment to be a marketer and to be a master in the conversation of making money, keeping money and growing money. As this started to come together, in December of 2012, I dropped all my partnerships, Either sold or handed off all the companies I was part of. And I had a conversation with a guy named Kevin, um, who was one of my mentors at the time. And he said, Listen, what do you want to do most? You got this warrior thing and uh, you got all this other shit you're doing. You're very good at marketing. You could run a digital marketing agency. You could be very good at that. Do you have any passion? And I was like, I don't give a shit. I don't want to market for other people. I don't want to build other people's shit. I don't want to build their funnels. I don't want to build their businesses. I don't want to build their shit. I'm going to build mine. And I'm like, okay. Well, why don't you do that? And in that moment, I walked away from everything else. And in 2012, we launched in December the first video for Wake Up Warrior. In February of 2013, you can see online, you can see exactly on my Facebook page, you can see a picture with me, the red hat backwards, where I made a declaration that I'm going to lead men only. And the game began. Mm-hmm. And so – and appreciate
0: all the, the backstory on that and appreciate you just sharing how you got to, to where you are then in, in, in this moment. What was the first product or program or service then that you put together that you sold?
1: Um, with Wicca Boy, the first thing I sold was a I sold a 90-day program. Uh, we tested it. The first five guys were $10,000. I had five guys that came in, ten grand apiece. Um, they were guys who had known me, and they knew the chaos that I was in and the mess that I was. They're like, dude, we saw what you did. Like, how did you do this? And I was like, mm-hmm. dude, I created this game, man. They're like, what do you mean you created a game? I literally created a game that I play every single day. I figured out how to track my marriage, track me and my relationship with my kids, track my relationship with God, Figured out how to tra- I figured out how to put KPIs to everything hmm. in a simple way that lets me know every day I'm winning. I know how to win in money, but I didn't know how to win in the rest of it. So I was like, I figured out how to, mo- I figured out how to win. And they're like, shut up. I was like, no, I created this game. I call it the warrior's way. Um, and I've just been doing it in my journal. But if you'd like to learn, I'd, li- I'd be happy to teach you. And so I did. So we launched first group, five guys, 10 grand apiece. I didn't know what would happen. And we started on this space. with 90 days. We'd get together on a webinar, go to a webinar once a week for a couple hours, and we would sit and talk. And the whole premise of it was tell the fucking truth. What do you want and what are you committed to doing? And we built these challenges across body being balanced in business where we would actually pursue these cool targets at the end of 90 days. Driven by this question, who would you have to become for this to be possible? And we do all kinds of crazy shit. Guys Mm -hmm. would do do marathons and blah, blah, blah. But they would do it all at the same time. So that worked. That first group finished in the spring of 2013. So we did another couple groups. And that started building momentum in 2013. And by the end of 2013, I was like, holy shit. Like, we're getting results. This thing works. 2014, I continue to push it down that path. A few big, larger men's group spinoffs that came from that group in 2014. Guys who were part of the program with me at that time were my students. And we kept pushing, and I kept doubling down. We were running Worry Weeks. We started introducing instead of 90-day challenges first. We ran an extensive five-day event called Worry Week. And we kept pushing in 2014. By 2015 was the first time I published anything. We launched a product called The Black Box. Prior to this, everything was big-ticket coaching. Meanwhile, on the side, my wife has created a method in extensions called natural beaded rose. And I'm like, no, I don't really want to be involved. I'm like, I don't want, you do your thing. I've got my thing working. Our life is working. I'm figuring this shit out. I'm a business consultant. We're running wake up warrior. It's working. Like just do your, do your hair thing. And in 2015, my wife and I get on the same page with our hair game. And I take, and she opens her first salon. And I invest in that salon and double it down with the money to put it up and make it happen. She opens a salon. I start helping her build her teams. 2016, is when things really start to take off. Um, and we're just doubling down. Like the mm-hmm. principle is very simple. 85% of my profits from the, in the first four years of what we did were doubled back into the business. I didn't keep hardly anything. Mm-hmm. My lifestyle, Say lifestyle, lifestyle, people see me now and they're like, well, how did you get here? I was like, well, for four years, I didn't make any more money than I did the first year. And I was stressed out 10 times more every single year trying to pull this off. Mm -hmm. because i'm not dealing with the normal business selling insurance easy selling real estate easy selling selling land easy selling cars easy i'm selling a belief system like i'm selling a, a unicorn that doesn't exist to men who know they want it but they're terrified of it and their first response to me is fuck you and i'm like okay i get it fuck me all right,
0: let me let me do this. So I, I and look, we totally appreciate, obviously, all the, the motivational and all this, that and the other and, and totally get it. And obviously, it's you know, it's working really, really well for you. And, you know, obviously applaud the success <laughs> here. What what are you still struggling with, though, man? Because there's, there's got to be stuff that's still keeping you up at night. What you know, I, I assume you don't have all your shit together. I mean, you got of a course. lot of it together. But what what, <laughs> what 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 do you still
1: struggle with Uh right now in, in business? The struggle is is learning. The struggle is learning to let learning to let go at a bigger level. Like I have executives, but it's one thing to like, to allow, to allow people in my organization to manage aspects of the of the empire without me stepping in and blowtorching shit and taking over. Mm-hmm. Like having to let go that it's going to be 70% of the way I would have done it and we might only get 70% of the results if I was running it, but understanding that the only possible way for me to grow as a businessman is I have to let go. This is painful because I care about what I'm doing, and it's not just a business for me. It's a calling, which means I'm not just letting go of aspects of my business. I'm letting go of the stewardship of men's lives that up to this point have been led by me. Well, now I have a team of Six full-time coaches, five full-time trainers, operations teams, accounting teams, finance teams—like we run a full-on business as if I was doing anything else. It is a business of breakthrough. Mm-hmm. But the biggest struggle for me as a businessman is why we hired a consultant from entrepreneur, or the EOS system, the Gino Rickman Workman uh, had created from Traction and uh, the book, and like we, I took that on. We tried to work with him a year ago, year and a half ago, but I was not ready. Mm-hmm. So they came in and I was like, fuck you and your accountability chart. I'm not letting go of control. There is no integrator. I'm the visionary and the integrator and everything else too. Yeah. So I'm running everything. So right now our our constraints to growth, no plans on exiting, no, no desire to sell ever with this. Like we're building a movement that's going to live hundreds of years past me. But I know the only way that's possible, and I knew that from the beginning. That's why this is not Geert J. White training Company. It's a brand, it's a crest, it's a belief system, it means something, and I'm not the only one that speaks it. So that's my struggle right now as a a business owner, to get to 50 million, like there's, you have, like, I can't even describe how different you have to think to go from 25 to 50, like, and to go from 10 to 25, how different you have to think, and to to go from one to two to three million to 10 million, I had to die. And let go. Like I remember the day I had to let go of the money, where I I wasn't I wasn't the guy controlling all the money every day. I had to put people on my accounts, on my teams to manage, hit payroll, wire money, control my personal finances, my business finances, to watch hundreds of thousands of dollars every single day moving in and out of accounts, and knowing that honestly you could be fucking taking money from me and I would not be able to know. Like that was so – like it was – going to the bank yeah. and signing that day, I was like like nauseous. I'm sitting in the parking lot, and I'm like <sighs> – I've been to this place, and I had a partner, and I watched what happened when I put people in this position. And I'm the one that walked in the office to a partner who said, just so you know, we're fucked and we have to let everyone go today. Mm-hmm. And it was terrifying, terrifying. And so I'm in the same place right now with operations. The financial side of my CFO, I've finally been able to – we're on the same page. Operations, I'm in the war right now. I mean I have a guy on the team right now who is here to be the COO, and he and I go to war every day. It's the weirdest thing ever. Like I'm learning how to let him have space to do what he is great at, yet at the same time knowing that there's shit he doesn't get about what we do, and also knowing that I have shit that I don't understand that he knows, and that's why he's here. Yeah. What about on the, uh, on the personal front? I'm a shitty father. How so? Like I think I'm a good manager of my children. But I, I had this awakening three days ago, Steve. I'm sitting there on Monday, and I drive my daughter to school, and I say shit to her in the car that you should never fucking say to a middle schooler ever, fucked up shit. Yeah, dude, she's struggling. She's struggling to figure her life out. Social media in middle school is a fucking nightmare, and having daughters is the hardest shit I've ever done. And I, I, I came home from dropping her off, and I'm like, what the fuck am I doing? How the fuck can I talk to her like that? Like, are you fucking kidding me, you piece of shit? I sit out in the ocean surfing for two hours, blanketed in shame and guilt, As a man, I'm like, you could build all this fucking shit, but if you don't figure out how to be a better fucking father, fuck you. And I'm sitting in this guilt, and I'm letting myself just bathe in this guilt and shame as a fucking man. And I'm sitting there, I'm like, you are a very good man and a good father and a good manager, but that is not fucking good enough. You're going to have to lead these children through their hardest times. You're gonna have to be there in that conversation and with your, your inability to control yourself and that place Garrett is fucking unacceptable. And so I make a decision, I make a decision in the water and I said, I will master this shit this year. And I hired a coach and I hired people and I hired psychologists to work with me to help me understand what it is to be in the world of daughters like this. I don't understand it. I don't understand it. And so I'm trying to figure it out. In the last week, we've been able to put some serious ground rules together with the people who are working and coaching and guiding me. I am a very good father, but I'm not great. Mm -hmm. I'm a manager of my children, but I'm not a fucking leader. I don't lead my children the way I lead in every other area of my life, including the same principles that worked in my marriage. And I recognize that shit is unacceptable to me. And that's the part that's actually more inspiring to me this year than anything to do with taking my businesses anywhere financially. Letting go, I'll figure that out. Managing my teams and building stuff, I'll figure that out. But for what cause, if I lose my daughter in middle school who to never trust me again, to where where I have girls threatening to kill themselves in sixth grade, naked shots of penises and breasts, and these kids are passing around, and my daughter sitting in private school filled with the most insane shit that I was never fucking exposed to, and her trying to emotionally figure herself out, and yet the only thing I can be sure of is, oh, well, I'm going to manage this situation. Your cell phone needs to be off by this time. Like, what a dick.
0: Got you, brother. Well, that's, uh, you know, look, here on Beyond Eight Figures, it's called Beyond Eight Figures for a reason, you know, because what happens beyond the money is often what truly makes the person, and, you know, dude, nothing but respect, and as a a parent of a 15-year-old and 12-year-old, and Richie's got a, I mean, I got boys, Richie's got a little girl, and believe me, it's... All of this is, it means nothing, really, when you come right down to it, if you don't have the, the love of your children, the love of your wife, and, or the love of your significant other, depending on, obviously, which side you're on there. So just the fact that you're willing to to open up and, and share so much of yourself in only the authentic way that Garrett White can. And uh, that's why, like I said, when I knew you were coming on, man, I was thrilled and honored to, to know you're going to be spending an hour here with us. And I knew we were going to cover a lot of ground, and I wish we had so much more time here to go even deeper with you. But definitely encourage everyone to check out uh, all the work that Garrett is doing around Wake Up Warrior. Uh, of course, Warrior Book and warriorbook.com, uh, great place to go there. And uh, the podcast that Danielle and Garrett do together, the Date Your Wife podcast uh, is definitely something you guys want to check out as well. We'll, uh, we'll find a way to, to hang out. We're just down the road from you here in San Diego and uh, we'll we'll find a way to hang out and, and further this conversation, man. And uh, again, really appreciate your transparency, your authenticity, your vulnerability, but most importantly, uh, just appreciate the man that you become brother.
1: Thank you so much. I appreciate you having me on today. And uh, I know this is not going to be the typical Typical interview that you guys have here, Um, I never am. The typical interview, if you're listening to the show, here's the deal. Listen, you listen to this podcast because you have two men who are committed, three hosts who are committed to creating a show every week for you to find answers that are not available everywhere. It's why even in their message, it's hard to find individuals to come on a show who are willing to, who push beyond $10 Like it is a it is a place that everybody wants to go. But if you're listening to this and you're in that place, man, listen, you got resource here inside of this podcast and men like Steve who care about trying to offer up a solution and bring together solutions that do not make sense to the guy doing a hundred thousand. They do not the problems faced at a million or two, they're not the same. The stress levels are not the same. So I'm glad that I could be on today. I hope that what we shared today um conserve and if you want more you can check it out at worrybook.com two books my treat we'll yeah. ship them to you and uh if they can be of support we'd love to do that all right my brother we will talk to you
0: really soon garrett white and uh just keep up the amazing work there richie pretty powerful stuff man i wish we had more time to do a little bit of a wrap up here but uh so much ground to cover there with garrett i knew it was going to be a game changer and, yeah, uh, perfect fit for reinvention radio too right. bring <laughs> him back yeah bring him back for reinvention radio Uh, All right, my friends, just keep up the good fight. Keep pushing. We'll talk to you next time here on Beyond Eight Figures. Take care, everybody.